from Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 5. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. So first, as a note, I don't think I've ever been so excited to be fired by, for a job, right? So Dominic, we're excited to have you. Megan, we're excited to have you. You're probably thinking the same thing. You're just not saying it. Um, so last year, our family purchased a little 1.2 acre forest behind our house. The land had been for sale off and on for years. But this time there was a giant for sale sign, and that made it very clear that the seller meant business. And I recognized the listing agent's name, and I knew him to be a successful longtime realtor who was very well connected to people with the capital that could actually redevelop the property. And I sensed this time things were going to be different. So I called the agent, and he described the plans of an interested developer. There's a very high likelihood that the forest would be regraded to make room for an access road and four new lots. For us, it would have meant the loss of a shared asset along a public bike trail and dozens of mature trees behind many of our neighbors' homes. Now, if you live in a neighborhood like ours, that's kind of why you live there, like big mature trees, parks, trail access, so forth. We also like people, for the record. Um, and so, with the help of family, we did something crazy. We bought the property. And this began a new part-time job, which is evidently my hobby, is doing part-time jobs now. Um, crummy family arborist. Incredibly, this forest has always been privately owned, never developed. It, it's also been a bit neglected, and many of the trees that are 50 or 60 years old are now dying. Forests usually have a pretty good record about taking care of themselves to some degree, but not every tree or shrub is desirable. Invasive species like honeysuckle are beautiful to look at, but they can cause long-term damage to the ecosystem. So, to invest in the next 100 years of the forest's health, I started planting a variety of new saplings in the woods, little trees. Now, I'll probably be old or dead when some of them are very large, but this is an investment of time, definitely some blood, sweat, and some finances in taking care of something for future generations and today. So why? Well, I could probably list about 20 reasons, but for our service today, I'll highlight one, which is to watch and participate in the ongoing miracle of life. 
keep in mind the sentiment as we survey the scriptures today. As we take a broad sweep from Abraham to the prophet Isaiah with an eye toward the promised Messiah. And from this spring, I'm sorry, and from this springs the main point of today's study, which is the generosity and steadfastness of God free us from an impulse to produce counterfeit control. The generosity and steadfastness of God free us from the impulse to produce counterfeit control. So thousands of years ago, God made a covenant or a promise with a man named Abram, a man whose line contained the seeds of a miracle. We see a portion of what would later be known as the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and, I, and whoever curses you, I will curse. I, excuse me. And whoever curses you, I will curse. It's kind of hard to say. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God pursues Abram and makes a promise to him to bless him. And not only him, but to his people and not only his people, but the world. For a moment, it seems like God is pulling back the curtain, so to speak, and letting Abram get a glimpse of the big picture. What in the world is God up to here? Why Abram? The national flower of India is a beautiful plant, sometimes called the sacred lotus. I think we have a picture here. The lotus is unique because its seeds can remain dormant for an exceptionally long time before germination. Here's how the plant is described on Wikipedia, which is the source of all knowledge. Uh, lotus plants are adapted to grow in the floodplains of slow-moving rivers and delta areas. Stands of lotus drop hundreds of thousands of seeds every year to the bottom of the pond. Do we have a picture of the seeds? Yeah, you can leave the seeds, thanks. While some sprout immediately, and most are eaten by wildlife, the remaining seeds can remain dormant for an extensive period of time as the pond silts in and dries out. During flood conditions, sediments containing these seeds are broken open, and the dormant seeds rehydrate and begin a new lotus colony. And under favorable circumstances, the seeds of this aquatic perennial may remain viable for many years, with the oldest recorded lo lotus germination being from seeds 1,300 years old, recovered from a dry lake bed in northeastern China. So if you didn't catch that, the point is that these seeds can sit dormant for like a millennia and then sprout <laughs> under the right conditions, which is kind of crazy. So who was Abram before he was Abraham? Well, he was a little bit like a, a, maybe a type of sacred lotus near the end of its life, whose seed would produce an abundance over thousands of years. Come hell and high water, the promises of God were to pass on as a remnant to each generation 
a new stand of sometimes dormant seeds, but still containing the DNA of God's generative and regenerative power. Of course, Abraham was like a guy, a distant descendant of Noah's son, Shem, living in what is now modern-day Iraq, a man whose relatives likely worshipped a moon god. God called him to become a sojourner in a foreign land. Judaism didn't exist, neither did Christianity or Islam. There was no church or Bible or communion or donuts or Sunday school. And I wrote this joke in here, and I'm going to tell it, but it's so bad. So this is a very inside baseball church joke. And this is what I wrote last night. I said, and the fun thing about the Chaldeans is that they actually invented planning center. So that's pretty neat. That's a very dumb joke. I'm sorry, but I had to preface it. That was mostly for you, Kate. Um, So let's look back at Genesis 12 and listen to the language God uses. It's all the language of gift and initiation on God's end, of generosity, of friendship. He says, the land I will show you, or I will with you make, I will make you into a great nation, or I will bless you, or I will make your name great, or I will bless those who bless you, or I will oppose those who oppose you. All these statements are like little saplings being planted in a forest. This is the promise of a new life of abundant life, of life still to come. It's a story of hope, but it is a story of waiting. The generosity and steadfastness of God free us from the impulse to produce counterfeit control. So our four-week Advent series is entitled Draw Near as a call to remember what God has done for us, and as an encouragement to respond positively to the continual invitation of Christ to walk with him intimately, to know him. It's also a nod to the kingdom of heaven drawing near and leading up to the birth of Jesus. And to get nerdy for a second, there's like a corporeal and a temporal element to all that is intensely human here. That is to say there are real bodies and real places and times involved in the Advent story. It isn't mythical. It's not like Star Wars or Harry Potter. This really happened. These people have names. And yet, the real people in the Advent story found themselves immersed in power and presence of God, taking it well beyond the mythical and the suprapersonal and unexplainable. So in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he puts it much better than I could. In verse 4 of chapter 4, he says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to his sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Body and time will be united. The spirit of Jesus and the fullness of time. The word made flesh is coming. 
God is drawing near. The time is drawing near. This is what Advent is. It's a time of remembering, of waiting, reflecting, and wonder. Real people pausing to place their hearts firmly back into God's incredible story, to find ourselves, our joy and pain, hidden within these remarkable promises to Abraham. So one of my fav favorite theologians, who's also a poet and many other things, an author, who served as the Archbishop of Canterbury for 10 years, said this in a sermon uh, as, he's as he was reflecting on Advent. His name's Rowan Williams. I don't know if I said that. Rowan Williams. He said, during Advent, Christians go back to that time of waiting as the Bible shows it to us. They read again the prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures and the Old Testament. They read about how people were longing for an end to slavery, longing to be back home in some sense, longing to be at home with God again, longing for reconciliation. And all of that is expressed in the most powerful metaphors, especially in the prophecies of Isaiah. Metaphors about the desert blossoming, metaphors about rain falling, Metaphors about day dawning after there's been a long, long night. I love the word longing. I think that's kind of it. This is what we're doing today in a season of Advent. We're longing for the Messiah. And we long to find in our lives, or I'm sorry, we long in our lives to find ourselves in him moment by moment. This is the one who would be called Emmanuel, God with us. So we read Genesis 12. Later in Genesis 17, we see another chapter about the unfolding friendship between God and Abraham. It says this, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram for your name will be Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. So these stories become something of a core memory for God's people, who would later be called Israel. The events are overflowing with more significance than I have time to unpack here today. But consider here that there are at least four dimensions that I can think of. There's personal, tribal, global, and cosmic. Very briefly, it was personal in that the man, Abram, believed in God, and he received God's righteousness as a gift. God revealed himself to Abram personally, not just in a book or in a vision. 
it was tribal in that all the men of Abram's family were to get circumcised and that the God established a covenant with his family and Abram's descendants. It was global because Abram, Abraham wasn't the final aim of these promises. God was modeling what was to come by pursuing a foreigner, adopting him and his offspring, and offering them kingdom citizenship as a gift. Lastly, it is cosmic, setting a course toward a new and better covenant, a new humanity, a second Adam, nothing less than the renewal of all things. Heaven and earth will be united under God. All will be made right. The story of Advent is part of this glorious story. So are you. The story is saturated with significance here. So again, Abraham was a guy. He's not God. He knows he's not going to live to see most of this. And the guy's 99 years old. I mean, he's like really old. And then I wrote another joke here, and I'm going to tell it. And I'm prefacing it because they're all cheesy dad jokes. I said, I mean, it's like a stand-up comedy thing, right? How old is Abraham? He's, you know, you know, it's like, how, he's so old. How old is he, right? And I said, Abraham is so old that when he leaves the marketplace, he probably forgets where he parked his camel. Yeah. This is why you shouldn't make edits late at night. <laughs> Almost all of what is promised to Abraham is well into the future. This is the theme of the first week of Advent, anticipation, waiting with expectation. Maybe that's how you feel about this sermon. You just want it to be over, your anticipation. With faith, we share in this heritage of our brother, Abraham. Why do we wait? Why do we, are we wasting our lives, wasting our lives, wasting our lives? Did Abraham waste his? Are we supposed to sit around waiting Jesus, the second coming of Jesus? Not exactly. So let's fast forward a bit to a Jewish prophet named Isaiah, calling God's people to covenant faithfulness. In the book of Isaiah, we repeatedly see imagery of trees over and over. And I'm gonna read several passages in Isaiah and I'm going to intentionally try to make you impatient. That's like what I'm trying to awaken in your body is a sense of when is this going to be over? So I hope I succeed. But the point is I wanna capture some of Israel's restlessness to give you a sense of the state of things. I'll leave it at that. Isaiah 1. This is all the tree, some of the tree imagery. You will be like, this won't be up there either, so just let it wash over you with impatience. <laughs> you will be like an oak with fading leaves, like a garden without water. The mighty man will become tinder, and his work a spark. Both will burn together. There will be no quench to the fire. Isaiah 2. The Lord Almighty was a day in, has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted 
and they will be humbled. For all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of Bashan, for all the towering mountains, and all the high hills, for every lofty tower, and every fortified wall, for every trading ship, and every stately vessel, the arrogance of man will be brought low, and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, and the idols will totally disappear. Isaiah 4. The branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Isaiah 5. Now I tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge. It will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled, and I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned or cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah and the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. And lastly, Isaiah 10. Does the axe raise itself above the person who swings it? Or the saw boast against the one who uses it? As if a rod were to wield the person who lifts it up, or a club brandish the one who is not wood. Therefore the Lord, the, the Lord Almighty will send a wasting disease upon his sturdy warriors. Upon his pomp, a fire will be kindled like a blazing flame. The holy, or I'm sorry, the light of Israel will become a fire, their holy one, a flame. In a single day, it will burn and consume his thorns and his briars. The splendor of his forests and fertile fields will be completely destroyed, as when a sick person wastes away. And the remaining trees of his forest will be so few that a child could write them down. In that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. Whew, okay. Starting to feel impatient. <laughs> like, okay, he's at Isaiah 10. There are a lot of chapters in Isaiah. How many of these is he doing? I think that's in, it's intentional, right? I want you to just get the teeniest, tiniest sense of what it must be like for the covenant people of Israel to every day, every week wonder, when, how long, O oh Lord? The prideful will be cut down to size, but the remnant will be fertile soil for new life. Can you imagine that waiting not a day or a month or a few years, but lifetimes, millennia, generation after generation, God's chosen people waited on him, the Holy One of Israel. The remnant of Jacob waited for a king. The forest thinned. Some Israelites forgot about God and pursued other things. It dwindled. Invasive plants sprouted up and the fires of pride consumed unhealthy trees. But it's from these very stumps that hope later springs up. Hope should be lost, but it isn't. God wants Judah to know that even though they will face various setbacks and judgments, God will make good on his promises. 
God will bring life. They can trust God. Remember what we were saying before, the generosity and steadfastness of God frees us from the impulse to produce counterfeit control. Before Jesus showed up as a baby in swaddling clothes in a manger, the reign of the house of David was dormant for 600 years. In the birth of Christ, we finally gloriously see a green branch spring forth from an ugly stump that had all appearances of being dead. So we get just a little taste of this glorious arrival in our verse um, that Katie read earlier. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. A shoot, a branch, fruit, sprouting from the roots of David's father, Jesse. God will draw near to his people. The spirit, you could say, enters the chat. So here we see three pairs of names grouped around kind of a central stem of the spirit of the Lord. Collectively, this is a description of the completeness or fullness of the spirit of God. In the passage we just read, we see wisdom paired with understanding. We see counsel and we see might. We see knowledge and fear of the Lord. All spring from the same spirit, the spirit of the Lord. This isn't just some like little green sprout. This is the living Messiah breaking into the monotony and death, breaking into the silence. So a question for you. Where do you feel most tempted toward an unholy impatience? I think I'm assuming there's a type of holy impatience here. Could it be maybe just a few steps away from where you feel the need to take things into your own hands? Maybe a place adjacent to your sense of incompetence or incompleteness or loneliness. When pride springs up in our hearts, and inflates our egos or desire for control, we risk forgetting the lessons of our ancestors in the faith. When we drift away from God, we distance ourselves from wisdom and understanding, counsel and power, knowledge in the greatness of God. Instead, drawing near to the Spirit of God, or instead of drawing near to the Spirit of God, we become unmoored, sort of unattached from our dock. But the good news is on the way. This is Advent, after all. That's why we're here. The generosity and steadfastness of God free us from the impulse to produce counterfeit control. Now, Advent is a reminder that we aren't the primary actors in the story of humanity. God is. 
He is the uncaused cause, the form factor, the founder, the author, the sustainer, the perfecter, the savior, and the one who holds all things together. In the person of Christ, God positions himself next to us and often even lower than us as a friend. Jesus walks with us in our grief, in our loneliness, and in our loss. He is teaching us his ways of thinking and doing and being. Okay, so how does this change anything? How do we leave this place changed in some way? Well, I think if we rely solely on a gathering like this, which is maybe, you know, like an hour and a half, if we rely only on that to transform us, I think we miss out on the transformative power of continual presence. The more you are with someone, the more they begin to influence you. You want to draw near to Christ in this season. Take time to reflect and be quiet. Be open to the voice of the Spirit of God, not just now, but on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And here's Rowan Williams again. He says, and he's British, so some of these, you know, might sound a little different. It is rather a pity that for a few weeks before Christmas, he's also like 70, so there's that too, right? Before Christmas, we are saturated with Christmas carols. We don't have quite the sort of quiet we need to think. Well, what would it be if Jesus really came as if for the first time into my life? What would it be for the good news really to change me? Because for that to happen, I need some reflective time. I need some peace. I need to slow down. I need, you might say, to take my time about things. And so all those bits of our contemporary culture which are rushing to get gratification, getting the results straight away, and all those habits in our culture which so drive the crises of our culture, whether it's the credit crunch or the environmental crisis, all of these things have to cast a rather cold eye, or we have to cast a rather cold eye during Advent and say, slow down. Take time. Let yourself grow and open up, rather like a flower coming to blossom. A time of expectation, a time of excitement, a time of waiting time of peace, and a time where we're clearing our hearts and our minds a bit so we can really see clearly when Jesus arrives and feel fully the impact of his coming. I think that's it. I think that's kind of what Advent is about. It's a time to let yourself grow and open like a flower coming to blossom, to rest, to reflect, to clear your heart and mind and direct them toward a little town in Bethlehem where a green shoot from the stump of Jesse is about to emerge. To find your friendship with Jesus again or maybe for the first time and as you anticipate his arrival. Perhaps the word is relinquish and as we relinquish, may we find our hands open to receive joy in our hearts again. 
may even, we might even find anticipation sprouting up with us again. Refreshment. May the generosity and steadfastness of God free you from the impulse to produce counterfeit control. We'll close with this. In Romans 15, the Apostle Paul gives us a fitting reflection to end today. Verse eight, he says, I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might become confirmed and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, as it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, which is what we read earlier, he quotes, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.